Well, thank you for joining us today, uh, whether you're joining us online or here in person. My name is Jason. I'm the executive pastor here. And one of the things our pastor says is, if you're trying this out for the first time, try us out three times. Uh, we might be off one week, and he is off this week, and he will be back next week for Mother's Day with his wife, Miss Erica, sharing an encouraging message for all moms and all of us, uh, what we can learn from encouraging moms there. We, uh, hopefully, if you're online, you're taking the time to like, comment, also here in person, and you can check in. If you check in on Facebook, uh, do that to get uh, the word out there. Many of you may not know uh, that Pastor Aaron and I are, are, have been friends for years, and uh, we have a history together, a little bit of history together. Uh, we worked at the same church uh, in the past, and this church was uh, in, in Missouri, outside of St. Louis, Midwest uh, United States, and uh, we were both on the executive team there, which just means we were part of the leadership, helping the team uh, just uh, execute some things and make, make things happen, and leadership there. And we'd do these quarterly meetings where we would go away to the city. We'd drive in. We were about 40 minutes outside the city, so we'd go into the city, and we'd stay at this real nice hotel, and uh, you know, we, we'd go and get a, get a room, and we'd, we'd plan and get whiteboards, and, and paper would be all over the walls, and we're planning and working through and strategizing all these things with our executive team, and there were about five of us on that team, and he and I were a part of that, and We'd go out at, at night, we'd stay down there, uh, stay the night, we'd, we'd go out and we'd eat. And we were in this kind of like hip area of town uh, there. And we would, we would pick different restaurants that we would go and eat at. Well, one day we decide we're going to, uh, and this was not my decision, uh, but we decide we're going to go to a Mexican restaurant uh, for dinner. Well, here's, what you, here's one of the rules of Mexican restaurants. Don't go to Mexican restaurants north of Dallas. There, you know, there might be some exceptions to the rule, but there is a rule for a reason. So number one, we're breaking number one rule. Well, number two uh, is you, you kind of got, they got to have the right atmosphere to be a good Mexican restaurant. You can kind of walk in and you kind of know once you've gone, you're like, this is not good. Uh, first of all, the place was named Gringo's. <laughs> so they're just telling you right away, this won't be good. This won't be good. And it's just not, it doesn't have the ambiance. It doesn't look like a Mexican restaurant. We go in and it's like, like I said, it's in a hip area of town, but everybody there is like extra hip, like extra. And you know, I, I, we've all come to, to enjoy like restaurants like Chick-fil-A where you go in and they're so polite and they're like, my pleasure, you know, and they're, they're, they use manners and stuff. Uh, but this restaurant decided they were going to go for a different take. And that was, we're going to be rude as possible. But here's the problem. When you're rude, like if you're going to try to be like Gordon Ramsay me, like you better bring some Gordy, Gordon Ramsay food, right? You better bring some good food if you're going to try the whole rude thing. So we go there and I'm like the whole time I'm protesting, but the, I'm always protesting. So like everyone's just like, oh, it's just Pastor Jason being Pastor Jason. Uh, I'm like, this is not going to be good, y'all. This is not going to be good. I'm telling you, this is a mistake. It's right there, gringos. It's not even the right kind of font for a good Mexican restaurant. It doesn't look right. This is not right. And we go and like, you, you know right away when you get the chips and salsa, if it's right, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it wasn't right. Uh, it wasn't right. And, but I'm like the whole time, like, we got to go. This is not right. This is not good salsa. It smells wrong and it doesn't taste right and the chips are stale. Come on, we got to go. Well, we've already sat down and we got the free chips. We can't go now. That's, they get you. They know. 
And the guy comes, and he has like a hipster mustache, and he's just all too cool. He's just too cool, and he's too uninterested in us being there, and he's being rude, and his name is George, and I don't mean Jorge, I mean it's actually George. It's like, no, this is not right, man, this is not right. And then half of us get the food, the other half don't get the food, the half to get the food, start eating the food because we waited so long, he's rude, everybody's rude, everything's rude, and it's not good. So we pay for the half of the food that we got, and we get up and we just leave because it was not a good experience. They were not treating us well enough to be there, and we went and ate ice cream for dinner instead. Uh, And I think how we treat people is important to Jesus. Over and over again, while he was on the earth, he made it clear in his messages to the people that how we treated people matter. In the book of Matthew, chapter 25 is one of those times where Jesus is speaking, and he's addressing how we treat other people. And in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 45, I'm going to kind of skip around here and give you an overview of what he's saying here. He's speaking to them. He's telling the story. He's, he's telling a story what happens in the future. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about the second coming of, of, him, of himself. He said, he will separate people, skipping to verse 32, from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He said, we're going to have a separation of people on that day. He says, he will place the sheep on his right, the goat's on his left, and then the king is going to address those on his right. He's going to turn to his right, and he's going to address them, and here's what he's going to say. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. That's what I wanted at Gringo's, uh, but I didn't really want to be at Gringo's. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was stranger, and you welcomed me. We wanted to be welcomed there. We were not welcomed. Now, we were not naked, and you clothed me, he says. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, those on the right are going to say, what do you mean? What? We didn't do, what What are you talking about? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we, I don't recall you being naked and us clothing you. What, what, what are you talking about? And he says this, the king will answer them, I truly say unto you, if you did it unto one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Powerful statement there. Then he's going to turn to those on the left. Those are the goats, those that are separated out. And he's going to say to them, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food, thirsty and you gave me no drink. He goes on and on and on. He said, you didn't do anything for me. And they're going to ask the same way. They'll answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prison, and we didn't minister to you? What are you talking about? And he says, then I'll answer them and I'll say this. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it unto one of these, the least of these, you did not do it unto me. With that being read, let's pray. Father God, speak to us through your word today. Cherish your truths that we would make them a part of our lives and a part of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. What does Jesus mean by the least of these? What is the qualifier of who is he talking about here? I have a little acronym that I've heard that I think gives us a great illustration of that, and that is bias. We all have a little bit of a bias, if we're honest. And to not be biased for people, I'm going to break this down for you. B stands for beautiful. Are there people who look different than you? 
that you treat differently because of how they look. Maybe they don't dress like you. They're not from where you're from. They don't talk like you talk. I, influential. They don't have power like you have power. How do we treat people who have no power to do anything for us, to not return the favor? A, influential. How do we treat people who have nothing? How do we treat people who don't have the same stuff we have? who have no ability to reciprocate when we do good for them. They, they do good for us. We exchange gifts. How do we treat people who can do nothing for us? And S, how do we treat people who are not successful, who don't have it all together, who, don't, who aren't all buttoned up, who don't have it all figured out? We have to avoid bias by not just treating the beautiful, influential, affluential, and successful people with respect. Everybody deserves respect. That's what he's talking about with the least of these. And that is one of the reasons that, that we as a church are so focused on figuring out ways that we can bless our community. Monthly, you may not know this, but if you go to our website, you can go and look at local projects that we're doing every month. Yesterday, we had a group of people go to the Texas Diaper Bank and, and, and be a blessing there. We brought, we brought some diapers, and, we, and we, we helped be a part of what they're doing there. We're, we're always trying to find ways that we can mobilize you, the church, to partner with organizations that are making an impact in our community because there's a great need. I saw the other day a stat that says that San Antonio now is number one in poverty rate in the United States, in the top 25 cities. There's a great opportunity. And for us, serving our community is not about just trying to get people to come here and get something from people, but it's trying to be a blessing to the least of these. Maybe those who are not beautiful. They may not be influential. They may not be affluential. They may not be successful. But we're going to be a blessing to them. Why? Because what Jesus said there. Jesus is saying this. If you treat those people, well, you're treating me well. You neglect those people, you're neglecting me. You do wrong to them, you do wrong to me. He uses strong language here. He says, uh, he, he brings up hell. And I know there's a movement to erase hell today because it'll make us feel better about it. If we erase it and, and say that's not a, a loving God wouldn't send people there. Well, somebody forgot to tell Jesus the manifestation of God's love. Don't get me started on that. I'll preach. <laughs> and one of our values as a church, because of this, because we understand eternity, is this. We live open-handed. We are generous people. We are generous with our time. We are generous with our talents. We are generous with our treasure. We are generous with our words. We are generous in our feeling towards other people. So how can we put this practically in a place? What are some groups of people, if it's not just the, the beautiful, influential, affluential, successful people, what kind of people can we bless and therefore bless God through? What are the four types of people we can bless God through? Jesus shares here. Again, as I say, he shares time and time again. We reverse back to Matthew 10. He shares these groups. He shares four groups of people I want to share with you. He's speaking to his disciples, and he says, whoever receives you receives me. 
See that same principle? He's saying, I'm sending you out. He goes, and if they receive me, they receive him who sent me, their father, right? Then, he, then number two, he says, whoever receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. That's the second group, prophets. Third group, he says here, and the one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. So you got those who are being sent, you got the prophets, you got the righteous people. Then this one's one of my favorite here. He says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, because you say you follow me, you're doing the right thing for these young ones who cannot repay you. He says, I truly say unto you, he will by no means lose his reward. He will be rewarded is what he's saying here. So number one, what was that first group? It was the sent ones. It's why we are so passionate about telling you about what we're doing around the world. It's why we talk about what one by one is doing in rescuing people from slavery, modern day slavery and brick factories. And there's this principle of scripture, if you understand that, 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 that happened multiple times. And one of those times we see is, is, is in 1 Samuel, that David is king. You guys remember David? He's the guy who killed the big you know, giant Goliath. And, and he becomes king and he has this army. And they're, they're out fighting a battle. And while they're fighting the battle, some other army comes in and kidnaps their family, takes all their stuff, raids their, their towns, and takes everything they have. How disappointing would that be to come home from battle? You're sent out. You come home, and everything is gone. And they're all tired. They've been fighting. And about half the army says, David, I can't go on. I don't know what to do. I can't go. I need to stay here. And so half the army goes, attacks this other army, the enemy army, wins back all their stuff, wins back their families, wins back their wives and kids, and comes home. But the guys who went said to the guys who stayed behind and guard the city, they said, hey, since y'all didn't come with us, you get no reward. We get all the stuff. And David said, I've never heard anything more wicked than that. He said, that's not how this goes. And he actually quotes here in 1 Samuel 30, 24, the second part of the verse. He says, for as his share is who goes into the battle. In other words, those who are sent... So shall a share be who stays by the baggage. They share alike. This principle throughout Scripture is this, is when we share with those who go, we receive the same reward. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's why it's important for us to go, but it's also important for us to send. Maybe you're here and you want to go. We want to help send. But we're always going to be living that way. That's why we are investing in a church planning. It's why we invest and partner with organizations around the world who are making a difference because we want to go with those, those sent ones. We want to be a blessing to them. And by blessing the sent ones, we're blessing God. Number two, after the sent ones, he mentions the prophets. Now, a misunderstanding when it comes to prophets in the Bible is this, is all prophets do is tell about the future. That is a small part of what they do. Because actually what prophets did in the scripture is they speak a message from God. If you go back and read the Bible in its, 
entirety, you'll see that the prophets, most of what they were doing was sharing to the people a modern day message from God. They were mouthpieces for God. They were speaking his truth. And so when Jesus spoke this to these people, remember, Jesus was Jewish and in ancient Jewish culture, speaking to ancient Jews, they would have understood this. Ah, you're talking about those who represent God, that when we bless them, we receive the same reward. They would have known the story from the, the, the prophets of a prophet named Elisha, who would travel and share God's message. He gave, he devoted his life. He wasn't doing something on the side. He wasn't a part-time prophet. He was a full-time prophet. And so he would go and share God's message. And there was a woman who came and said, come and stay. I'm going to build you a place to stay. I'm going to support you whenever you're here. And her life was blessed. And we know that she had a son. And, and actually something happened to him. And the prophet came again and raised him from that. She was blessed because she blessed the prophet. They would have known and understood that and been like, ah, oh, yes, we understand what you're saying. Now we read that. We don't fully understand that. And prophet is one of the ministry gifts. And so you say, who's the modern day prophet? It's those who are speaking God's message to us in our lives. Now, there are people who stand in that role of prophet, but I know even as a pastor, we stand in that role as a prophet, as sharing God's message to God's people. It's one of the ministry gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's one of the ministry gifts in Ephesians 4 where, where, where this is mentioned. And in fact, Paul says this to Timothy. Timothy, who was a pastor, a leader in the church, an elder. He says, let, 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered of double honor. He says, especially what type? Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And today we live in a culture that loves to trash spiritual leaders and authority. And Maybe we could say like, hey, there's been some spiritual authority that's failed us. And we love to focus on those like one in a billion cases. But he says here, they're worthy of double honor. How much honor do you think they're worth? Double it. That's what he says is worth. And so what does it mean to honor? He's not just talking about finances here, but, you know, I know there's some people, like, I don't think pastors should get paid. Okay, that's not biblical. Paul said, don't muzzle the ox. He said, they're worthy of double honor. I'm not going to tell you how much they should get paid then. But he said, double. <laughs> I'll receive. <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding, but not really. Uh, he said, those who labor in teaching and preaching, they're worthy of double honor. They're worthy of our honor. Well, I don't want to call him pastor. Who does he think he is? It's worthy of double honor. What does it mean to double honor? Whatever you were thinking, then double it. Sent ones, prophets, the ministry gift. Number three he mentions here is righteous people. Righteous people. And you're like, I would bless some of those if I could find them. <laughs> but according to Paul's writings, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus already did. First Corinthians, 
He talks about this. He says, 5.21, he says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ, you are the righteousness. And so this is our opportunity for us as believers to bless one another, to be a blessing to one another. And that's what I love about our church is this, we call it spiritual family. We're always looking. I, I, we have people in our church who are just always looking, like, how can I bless people? And at Christmas, when we, we bless some families who, who, who we just identified we wanted to bless, and you know, during the winter storm, people were blessing one another, and we had more people trying to bless somebody than we had need to be blessed. That's how it ought to be. That's how it ought to be, as you're a part of the family. And Paul wrote this, he says, in, in Galatians to the church, he's there, he says, so then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, he said, but especially to those who are a household of faith. Do you know what was so attractive about the first century church to the people in the world? It wasn't the miracles, because they had some miracles happening. You might think it was that. It was like, man, people were getting healed. It was amazing. It was actually, they said, it's like they saw the way they treated one another. And you look at that term, one another, throughout Scripture, throughout the epistles, throughout the letter. They looked at the one anotherness, and they were like, we want to get, how do I become one of those anothers? That was what was attractive to them. Not their great sermons, not the great worship, and man, we believe in all that. But it was the one anothering that they saw how the household of faith treated each other, spiritual, family. So we see the sent ones. We see the prophets, we see the righteous people. The next one, this is personally my favorite one because I've devoted much of my life to that, and that is this, the next generation. And, you know, I always grew up in a church where they said this. It's like, we believe that children are the future, but they should be seen and not heard. Because that's in the scripture. No, it's not. Because if you think children should be seen and not heard, don't be surprised when you never see them or hear from them again. Why are so many kids leaving the church? Y'all sit down and shut up. We as a church, we believe in investing in that next generation. Jesus, again, Matthew 19. Matthew was all about really understanding this principle. He says, Then children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. And what happened? The disciples rebuked the people. Jesus don't have time for that. He's important. He's got some lame people to heal, some deaf people to heal, some rich young rulers to talk to. Jesus said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them. And he went away. Other translations say he laid his hands on them and blessed them. He blessed them. As a church, we believe in this. We invest into our kids and our teenagers. We invest into that next generation. And here's what I've realized as someone who's been a kids pastor, youth pastor, uh, next gen, family pastor, whatever it might be called, is, 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 is I've realized this, is that God is always bringing people to bless my kids. And I'm like, God, why are you always bringing someone to bless my kids? He goes, because you're always blessing my kids. 
And so there's this principle there. You say, well, my kids are far from God. You might want to sow into someone else's kids. Instead of chasing them off, hollering at them, thinking what they're doing is secondary to what happens here. You know, I used to, when I was a, I was a kid's pastor for so many years, and people would come after the service, man, this wasn't in my notes, but I'm about to preach. Uh, people would come after the church and say this, oh, you missed it today. It just was such a move of God. And I'm like, no, you missed it today. You don't know what happened back here. You don't know what these kids were praying for. You don't know what they were believing God for. You don't know how they believe God way better than you do. This is not secondary. Our teenagers are not secondary to what we do here. It's not just something else we do. Kids are not just secondary. They are a part of what we do. And so when I look and say, why did someone buy my daughter her first car? It's because I've invested into so many people's kids. And I didn't expect that. I didn't ask for that. It didn't happen because I was a pastor. It happened because I've invested my life in this. And I serve a God who says, you will reap what you sow. And as a church, we believe that. We believe that. We believe that as we give to those sent ones, that it's not wasted money. It's a multiplied investment. That when we give to those who are our spiritual leaders, our prophets in our life, that it's not wasted. It's we receive a prophet's reward. That, that when we give to one another, it's not wasted. We live open-handed with one another, and we give to the next generation. We live reflective of God's kingdom. So as we wrap all this up, Let me walk you through how you can live this out in your life. Let's recap. Remember, he's saying here, you do good to others, you're doing good to Jesus. You do bad to others, you're doing bad to Jesus. What's the lesson there? The lesson is, you better do good to others, right? Simple. How many of you would agree with that? We can fo you're following with me here. Let's go to the next part of the lesson. You see someone else doing good to others you can rejoice that they're doing good to Jesus, right? But they're not with us. Jesus' disciples had that same problem. Like, they're not one of us, and they're doing good. Let's rejoice with that. You see someone else doing bad to others, you can realize they're doing bad to Jesus. So what should we do? Man, encourage people who are doing good, man. Man, you're doing good. Better do good. Now let's take this then to what we can learn from the next level of this and live this in our lives. If someone else does good to you, they're doing good to Jesus. Someone else does bad to you, wrong, neglects you, mistreats you. They mistreating Jesus. Whoa. What if we lived life thinking of that, taking this principle to its next level of thinking. Because here's how some of us, and this is me, I don't like other people to be blessing me. I struggle with this. I don't want you to celebrate my birthday. I keep deleting it off the staff calendar so no one tries to throw me a party. 
Don't, don't, don't get, don't do anything for me. I'm not worthy. But what I do when I don't allow people to bless me is I rob them from an opportunity to bless Jesus. If I think this way, right? And I get it. I love control. I love power. I love being self-sufficient. I love that. But I have to allow other people to bless me because by doing so, they're blessing Jesus and he can reward them in their life. The second part of that principle is this, is I can live above offense. I can live above grudges. I can live above bitterness. I can live above unforgiveness. If I just understand they did it to Jesus. I'll never take an offense if I just live this way and just say, man, I'm going to have some compassion for them. They were really rude to me. That's sad that they were rude to me because they were rude to Jesus. And I know this. I'll always pray this. Lord, I hope that you don't, that they don't reap what they sow. Please, please don't, don't let them. They mistreated me. They lied about me. No, no, please, I hope they're, they don't get a harvest of that. It changes your perspective and how you pray for people when you realize that. It's like, oh, I don't think they were just having a bad day. He was just trying to be cool as a waiter at Gringo's. He didn't mean that. He don't know any better. It changes the way and we become eternity-minded instead of right now-minded. That is our endeavor, to be eternity-minded and not just right now-minded. 